0: Hey guys, it's Sam here. Just very quickly before we start, Guillaume and I have partnered up with Automation Boutique to write a brand new ebook for you guys called Going Beyond the Buzzwords. It's an amazing ebook that goes through all the things about automation, data, and processing that just simplifies the topics just in the way that we do all the time in Corporate Treasury 101. To pick up your copy, just go into the show notes and click on the link, or go to the website and find the partners page where we have a link to the ebook there as well with Automation Boutique. And then here's the episode. Welcome to this very, very special episode
1: of the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. We are here just together with Hussam and I for this one, for this 200th episode of the City 101 show. We've asked you to ask us questions for a special Q&A session uh, for this episode. And this is what we're about to cover. So Hussam, welcome. It's just you and I today.
0: I swear I don't have a guess. It, not having guests. That's true. An episode with just the two of us since, I think, episode 100-ish? That's when we started getting guests Probably on. something
1: like that regularly, yeah. Mike was, Mike was what, episode 60 or something like that?
0: Like it was four months after that. And there was a gap in between. True. The, there was a gap in between where we where was just two of us again. But yeah, it's not been the two of us as um, well. I'm happy to be here with you, Bajosa. That's... I love <laughs> being here with you as well, this is intimate. <laughs> Absolutely. Lovely.
1: All right, so we received some amazing questions, and um, let's let's dive into them. So how about I ask you the first question, Musa? So this is a question about oh, us, actually. actually, about Corporate Treasury 101. So the whole the whole question is why? What makes you want to do Corporate Treasury 101? Where do you see the future of the podcast going in the future? Sorry, convoluted three parts, uh, but asking them anyways and looking forward to the answer. So what do you think, Musa? What makes us do... Corporate Treasure 1 1, and why are we doing
0: that? Well, I mean, I mean let's give the story first, right? We're, we do this podcast because, Guillaume, your background is, is in corporate treasury, mm-hmm. right? So that's kind of what got us started. What kept us going was, well, we wanted to make the podcast as big as we could. And we knew that the number one rule to making any podcast grow is consistency. Okay. So we kind of have to keep going. <laughs> no choice and, anymore. But I think also, like, I think a lot of people thought, and we thought as well, or we kind of just trusted, but didn't really have the answer to how are we going to get to 200 episodes. Um, but topics just keep coming up. There's new interesting topics. We keep finding new guests that have a different take. Every new guest that we uh, have our pre-brief calls with has a specific topic. We're like, oh, we haven't covered it from this angle yet. And we haven't covered it from that angle yet. Or oh, we didn't look at it from this perspective. Um, and somehow topics just keep coming or interesting conversations just keep happening. Uh, And then that momentum of just, oh, we haven't talked about, you know, layered hedging, which I know there's a talk we're going to talk about today Mm -hmm. before. Uh, We haven't talked about virtual accounts before. Like things are still coming up 200 episodes (laughs) later in a niche such as corporate treasury being so specific. I think it's just a broad remit to the field overall. Uh, which allows us to just keep going and keep finding interesting conversations. 100%. Couldn't agree more.
1: Yeah, and the part you said about everybody has a different take on it, well, it's, it's a bit like math for certain aspects, right? Um, there are some certain base principles of treasury that it's just once you once you know it, it is what it is. Foreign exchange risk management is something we've talked a lot on the show with many different guests, and it's very interesting indeed to see, okay, what does it mean from a, corporate perspective what does it mean from a system vendor perspective what does the consultant has to say uh, what does the bank has to say what does the broker has to say and it all comes down to everybody has a different story and sometimes because it's also about learning about treasury inspiring about treasury we end up having maybe a story that hits a certain brain center more than another and that makes the that makes the whole magic so we keep on learning even after talking I think for a good 15, at least a good dozen episodes about foreign exchange risk management. But also I was surprised to see how topical treasury can become. Well, certainly in March 2022, it was about explaining corporate treasury, right? We were at the very beginning of a hike uh, and rise in interest rates. And all of a sudden corporate treasury arrive at the forefront of all the financial department because we're like, oh, uh, the banks need to be saved because, uh, well, they cannot really handle the, rising interest rate what does that mean what does more money means on the market what does less money mean on the markets um, how are we gonna handle that what does it mean for the corporate and so on and so forth so treasury somehow and i would have never th- thought saying that can be topical uh, but most most importantly we just can't stop talking about it which is fun quite a lot of fun and quite great great spirit we had talked with on the show
0: yeah and i don't i don't think the next i don't think I know two hundred new topics, <laughs> but I also trust the fact that we probably will find them. And just knowing that we didn't think we'd be here at two hundred today. Hundred
1: so. percent. And to tease a bit what's happening in uh, what's going to happen in twenty twenty-four, we, we recently recorded an episode on changes in regulation in a certain industry that is in direct link with the uh, corporate treasury. And it's crazy. It's crazy to see the impact that certain changes in regulation can have, let alone the technology part of things, but like just regulation, just, hey, the EU is launching this new thing. This is what you should take into account because otherwise you're going to lose millions, to say the least. And it's like, oh, wow, all of a sudden, treasury has to transform, treasury has, has to adapt. And if one thing is for sure is that regulation change all the time, death is sure, tax is certain. But I think regulation is highly linked to all that. Uh, maybe not death, but yeah, definitely lots of... Uh, lots to talk about. So what's for the, what's for the future of City 101, Hussam, What do you see for the
0: future for us? So, uh, Kim, for the future, I guess it's it's more of the same, right? Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to find 200 more topics to talk about, I'm sure of it. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure we're going to find where those topics are going to be intersecting and simplifying them for corporate treasures. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be the main thing. I think the, the next episodes that we have recorded in the new year are exactly that. They're complex topics broken down. Uh, we've already got i think march up until march yeah. recorded yeah correct um, so like great topics great guests all talking about very important things for corporate treasures but again taking away the jargon making it simpler and mm-hmm. um, the youtube is growing that's been going really well um hopefully you're going to yeah. be seeing some corporate treasury 101 TikTok tock style shorts in the future soon <laughs> um, as well uh, and uh, the website's growing as well so that's really really cool also we've got some cool collaborations coming up new ebooks coming out like the one that's featured in this episode at the start with automation boutique mm-hmm. um so more of just the same which is simplifying uh, treasury topics uh, in languages yeah. that people can understand and not feel embarrassed to learn about the basics of treasury no matter how senior they are
1: amen what yep. do you think ion no 100 percent am in line with you my um, The um, the one thing i would add is that so by the numbers we are growing meaning even though we are tackling indeed more and more complex topics and going into more and more details we still, as you very uh, properly said, keep a corporate treasury and a one-on-one touch, which I think is important for our audience, but also for us. That's a bit the DNA of the show. And we have a bit like mixed uh, comments on some LinkedIn posts. Overall, it's very, very positive, the feedback we receive. We had a couple of comments saying, hey, but that's not one-on-one at all. Or exactly, or other comments saying, hey, but that's very, it's too basic. You need to go uh, much more in depth. And it's very funny to to tackle both those, uh, both those comments. The first one is, yeah, I mean, if, if anybody wants to really start with the basics, that's what we created the show for. And I think the first 150 episodes are really about covering each and every single topic that you There are still some coming up that we deep dive more and more into, but there is still a good, let's say, 100 episodes which are really, what is cash management? What is financial risk management and so on and so forth where we break down everything, sometimes bringing in experts to talk about it. So I think we have tons of resources out there for to the, for those people who wants to either get started in Treasury or go back to the basics on certain points. And to the other people saying it was on a financial risk management effects coincidence post infographic that we did that somebody was like, but this is way too simple. You need to go much more in depth. Or like yeah, that's that's what we that's what we stand for. We want to make it simple so anybody can understand, and it's great because if people are saying this, it means it's literally what we are aiming for. So that's that's great, um, and yeah, for the future we're gonna keep on doing the same. Um, more thought leaders, more people coming and sharing their knowledge and experience. I think one of the great benefits of the podcast we're gonna reflect on it a bit at the end of this episode but is that we get access to the the greatest minds of treasury to come and explain us some stuff and and tell us their story which is absolutely amazing it's gonna be more of that in uh, in 2024 uh, who knows indeed maybe some shorts and a uh, nice short form content adapted for for treasury we want to do things right and well So we really focused on LinkedIn with the infographics, with the carousels where we break down topics again and like make it more visual uh, because that's the small drawback from the podcast is only audio, but now indeed people can find us on YouTube. So yeah, more of the same and more amazing guests for 2024. That's uh, that's what we have, and uh, I think that's that's what people wanted to hear, want to watch. So we are just getting there.
0: Hundred percent. All right, again, Let me ask you the next question then. So, please, uh, we had a guest that said that their biggest challenge that they face in treasury mm-hmm. is uh, getting staff who have a data-driven mindset. What would yeah. you say? What would you say about that? Yeah,
1: this one is uh, this one is very interesting because we had we had quite some guests without us particularly asking for that particular aspect of Treasury, uh, they brought it up as leaders in their Treasury departments or within system vendors uh, and actually to, to quote them. So we had to focus on this particular topic with Bart Hendricks, which uh, by the time was um, a senior treasurer in um, uh, I don't remember the name of the company. It's a logistic company uh, and uh, TIS leadership. Uh, both of them said that and I think obviously lots of people are saying that data is becoming critical in Treasury. AI has taken that to a whole new level but if we just look at okay how do we do proper cash flow forecasting how do do we do even cash cash positioning and cash flow I mean cash management and cash flow forecasting for the more advanced like it all comes to data the quality of your data how do you how do you collect them first of all where are they and how how can you pull them to a central location to like analyze them properly and then manage the data and like make them tell the story that will help you make better decision making. And how to have a staff who has a more data driven mindset. I think that's a work in progress. Uh, we had some interesting interesting thought leaders talking about uh, the fact that it might be sometimes more interesting for a treasury department to look for uh, data analysts that they would train in treasury management rather than training treasury uh, managers of finance professionals with data management which is very interesting take because like data is becoming so critical and it's good to have somebody in your team who is like you know you can go to them for anything related to data and i i like that Uh, and it's it means like more challenges for treasury professionals that they need to upskill in that particular aspect Uh, but that's good and that's that's good stuff because you get to learn that's definitely a skill that you're gonna be able to leverage in any any part of your corporate life and in your career because data is is becoming more and more critical. There is this quote that uh, that you and I like a lot, which is "software is eating the world." Well, uh, data is at the foundation of this. So if you know just your little bit about data management, I think you can go a long way. So that doesn't answer quite the question yet. How to have a more data-driven mindset team? I think it's about training. It's about uh, sensibilization, like education around it, like explaining why it's important, so always starting with the why. Like, hey, we need to know about data because this is the impact, this is what's at stake. Uh, and then once, once people understand how important it is, they are much more likely to get, okay, I need to get up to speed with that. So, culture, explaining the why. And having the proper training with your team to clearly have that data-driven mindset and then why not bring somebody in-house from the outside world who has a more data-driven mindsets uh, that could educate and um, foster that kind of approach uh, of things through data that's my take on it what about you hussam what do you think how to how to make that happen in treasury teams people having more of a data-driven mindsets
0: i mean my corporate career i never worked in treasury but I did work in organizations that wanted us all to be more data-driven for Mm -hmm. sure and and have those kind of things. And if I look at what they did, that I found effective. Training is is the one one of it, really. You need to make sure that people are actually capable of it. But if you look at what holds people back a lot of the time, a big part of it is I don't know how to. And a lot of the time, red tape holds people back as well. So also looking at, okay, what's the friction that's stopping people from getting some new software which is better at um analyzing some bit of data some plugins for excel does your corporate does your company have very strict policies around third-party software for example that just makes it too difficult mm-hmm. to have to go through all those jump through all those loopholes to jump through all of those different hoops to be able to get to your uh, get your thing going right for mm-hmm. just you know five less minutes every day right it's like okay to get five minutes li- five mm-hmm. less minutes every day i need to Uh, you know like go through a month of approvals like no one's gonna no one's gonna do that right so how easy is it for people to enforce change like if you want to automate your systems better like is it easy for people to integrate third-party tools like zapier or like uh, rpa tools right Mm -hmm. is that easy to do inside your company Um, if not how can you make it easier so can you make a sandbox can you go out bring in tools and then say hey look these tools are now here find the use cases for it and the other thing is, how do you incentivize people to be more data-driven uh, uh, overall? Is it, look, I'm not gonna approve anything unless you show me the data? Right, that, that's as simple as that. From now on, I need to see at least this. Um, clarity is, is a big part of your, anything that you want out of your, your team. And um, so being clear on, look, this is what's required to be able to, to move forward on these, these, these decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, which goes back to your point about the why. Yeah, I think that's, that's super important as well. So enabling your team and figuring out what's slowing them down from doing it—is it they don't know how to? Is it they feel like it's too much effort? How do you simplify that? Uh, is it because you know they don't they don't have the tools and they don't want to go out and find the tools because they think it's going to be a big deal to bring? Because we're talking to corporate treasurers, right? Corporate yeah. treasurers are working at multi-billion-dollar companies most of the time. Yeah, those multi-billion those multi-billion-dollar companies have governance. They have cybersecurity. They have all these different things, right? If I look at when I was working in a company, like now being in a much smaller company, Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I'm using a lot more data and and automation in my day-to-day. I have also reflected on why I didn't when I was working for a big company. Mm-hmm. And it was just that I was like it's just too much effort to get software approved there. <laughs> and now I don't have to Now I've got an open <laughs> cybersecurity might whoa. be a bit of a whoa, consideration whoa, whoa. in that. But um, just like having say oh I want to get this thing inside the firewall. Oh it was such a such an effort yeah. to get something to talk inside my firewall in in my company. Um, mm-hmm. that it was like I just I was like no I'll just, I'll just do the little bit extra effort that requires. Um, <laughs> So Fair. I, I, if I reflect, I think that was a big deal of it.
1: Yeah. I mean I'm not sure what you're talking about, Sam. We have a super strong cybersecurity system in place at Corporate Treasury one Definitely. Ah, uh, we
0: do. We do. <laughs> but uh, but we also we also allow for improvements. That's true. That's absolutely and, true. And that's it, right? Enabling it. I think mm-hmm. that's the key thing. I think kind of everything that we do, we talk about it, we're like, Yep, it looks good. Let's spend the money and, and let's let's implement it. So I think that's why.
1: Yeah. Particular, particularly like your take on um, how to incentivize that. I think that's the, that's the right approach for that person asking the question. Really, really like it. Let me ask you the next question, Sam. Um, and it's actually a very, I think, a quite technical one. Um, what is the value of virtual account management, and can treasury teams in-house in function?
0: Yeah. So I have no idea. Just <laughs> Perfect. Um, but in the in the corporate treasury 101 on one spirit. Mm. Um, I actually called up uh, someone I've been working with for a a very, very long time now, and we have a Corporate Charger 101, although they've not been on the show yet. Um, So we have friends uh, at a fintech, actually, in London uh, called Integrated Finance. Integrated Finance is a fintech platform uh, for people to come and build embedded finance tools on top of. What basically they are is they're an API aggregator. So all the different banks that have all their different APIs, um, they don't talk to each other. Right? They never talk to each other. In fact, what Daniel said to me off the recording, and I wish I had caught this in the recording with him, was (laughs) it was like Deutsche Bank and Barclays are both building APIs, but they're not talking to each other. In fact, it's the opposite. Deutsche Bank is continuously looking at Barclays API, for example, and saying, How can we make ours better? Right? So not only are they going in different directions, they're looking at each other and trying to one up each other all the time. So there's just no standardization in APIs. So integrated finance solves that problem by building all those integrations, and then having one API that Treasures, for example, can integrate into their into their system. But Daniel gave a really, really good explanation of this, uh, and here it is. This is how we got into podcasting overall and starter agency and everything like that. That's been around for like a year and a half, uh, et cetera. When we talk about corporate treasury, which my business partner, that's, he was a consultant at PwC in treasury. And uh, so we've had that running for a really long time. <clears throat> and for our 200th episode... We thought um, we would do a Q&A. And one of the questions came up was this virtual card, uh, virtual accounts, sorry, question for corporates. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a couple others that we had no clue what the answer to that was. And uh, <laughs> um, so we thought, okay, tell you what, let's call experts and make like a mashup episode, like answering each of the each of the questions. So there's one on hedging, uh, on FX and et cetera, et cetera. So we called up someone that. We know a broker, FX broker is doing that. And then we got the virtual accounts one. And we're like, who could we know? And then we said, well, IF does virtual accounts issuing or does part of their integrations as all the work I've been doing with you guys has has demonstrated. So I thought, why not message you, Daniel, and ask you about it if you'd be comfortable to. But what are virtual accounts? Because I actually don't know.
2: I just sent you the most boring blog I've ever done. It's a 30-page thriller on uh, virtual accounts. Um, okay it's it's probably the deepest topic i've I've ever bothered to dive in that wasn't Lord of the Rings so <laughs> virtual accounts in my industry is really a bastardized tool to make like a bank Hey look at me I'm a bank because I've given you a virtual bank account where they originally stemmed from was large corporates who had a a, a real pain handling their account receivable solutions so Imagine you had um, a huge bowl, and everyone owed you a penny. A million people owed you a penny, and everyone tossed their penny in, and then you had nine hundred ninety nine thousand pennies, and so you're missing a thousand. Well, you go into your your uh, jar, and you're like, I don't know whose this is, and so you'll um. That was effectively what's happening to large corporates on invoicing. So you, you imagine, I don't know. Let's say you're Coca Cola, and you've got thirty five thousand distributors in Europe. And so they all have to pay you for whatever reason. Humans are humans. Pay early if they're hyper organized. They pay late if they're disorganized. They pay on time if they're regularly organized. They overpay and some people are lazy. Don't read the invoice. Some people miss the tax. Some people underpay uh, because they're stupid. Some people underpay because they don't actually have enough money. Some people don't pay at all because they're forgetful or dishonest or just a human and so at scale having all of this cash pile into one bank account is almost impossible for an ar team to reconcile so what these guys were doing is they're setting up hundreds of bank accounts for different jurisdictions now that helped solve the problem but the cost of maintaining all of those bank accounts just it was it wasn't worth the pain and uh, and it was, really wasn't a scalable solution so whilst I don't know the specifics around how it happened. Something tells me uh, if, if an FD at Apple or BP or Coca-Cola went, Mr. Bank, this is a pain, fix it or I'll leave. And one of, the bank, uh, one of the banks went to their te- chief technologist and said, we can't lose Coca-Cola, we'll be fired, so fix it. And so what they came up with was with this idea of virtual accounts. And really just, just there are accounts that don't hold balances effectively. Think of them like forwarding rules on your emails. Imagine you're a small company and you want to look like you're a bigger company. So when you sign your first customer, you email them the invoice from finance at Mr. Whatever.com, but it's really from me. And uh, when they don't pay, you get your sales team to chase them, which is me again. So I send the chaser from sales at um, whatever.com. And then uh, when my customer doesn't pay on time, Better get out the big boys. So I put debt collectors at blah dot com. But it's me sending those three emails. Virtual accounts are exactly the same. You rather than you putting in a reference number on your invoice and hoping to dear God that the person actually types that in on, on their payment when they pay, you can just do mm-hmm. away with that. Because what is a bank account at the end of the day? It's a reference. It's Barclay's unique identifier for me as a as a customer. And so mm-hmm effectively, what virtual accounts allows is you to give every single customer, in theory, a different bank account number to pay into. And so Mm -hmm. when they pay in, it hits that bank account, virtual bank account, and it just routes up to the house account. And so rather than Mm -hmm. you sifting through hundreds of thousands of payments in a single bank account, Mm -hmm. you can just look at each individual virtual account. And if none of them ever received the transaction, you can pretty you can quickly identify, okay, here are the virtual accounts that have never received any money, and each mm. virtual account is for a different distributor, so I need to beat that distributor up to get my money. That that was the principal use of it. It's just a redirect of funds, and it's primarily, although not exclusively, used for receivables, to collect money mm. in a more automated fashion and to understand who and who has and hasn't paid that's that's the most common use case of it
0: okay and is there a specific way of managing it like do we need to uh does your typically your bank offer that or is that a third party
2: so it, typically the bigger the bank the more likely they are to offer that as a specific function i know um Who's the most common? so? So the most common one I know of is C- Citibank, and they have a they mm-hmm. have a, a a function called Payer ID, and so the clue mm-hmm. for the functionality is kind of in the name: identify who's paid you. Um, mm-hmm. So C- Citibank for sure, you'd be able to get it as a as an an addendum product to their treasury suite. I know it's being popularized across most tier ones, but then you have. Um, a lot of tier twos do it. Tier twos tend not to have the same treasury requirements that a, a tier one customer would, but often it's the fintechs, it's the it's the non-banking financial institutions that will want to use it from from the tier two banks. And the very simple idea is when you register a user, you can say, mm-hmm. Here's your here's your user bank account. This is exclusive to you. Some uh, some fintechs have gotten very snazzy and they can actually send money out through the virtual IBAN whereas most just use mm. it as a, as a receipt tool um, technically mm. it's a challenge to do it on the outbound but also there's all sorts of money laundering risks because you're effectively allowing a a, a less well capitalised financial institution with major incentive to onboard customers that you shouldn't to act like a bank
0: And you wouldn't really bring that in house, then, right? That would be something that your bank would provide you. But as a corporate, you wouldn't bring that in house, would you?
2: If you're very large, you might. Again, um, some corp, most corporates will use their bank uh, for everything, but at scale, and you need to be truly large for this to be enough of an irritant for you want to own the project, but to, to own the process. But you may opt to work with with a SWIFT bureau. And so mm-hmm. they'll do a lot of the connectivity for you. So the, a lot of the big ERPs will also offer this service for you as well. Um, mm-hmm. Usually SAP consultants um, or SAP have an ecosystem of consultants around them. And uh, those guys love charging a, a pretty penny for consultation and execution of the implementation and an execution of virtual ibans mm. it it would be rare that you would want to own it you'd have to have such a, a large number of people paying in uh, you you'd need a very large accounts receivable team
0: uh
2: mm. let's say 30 maybe 30 or 40 uh, in account receivable you'd need that sort of cost load for it to justify the expense of implementing it managing maintaining and upgrading mm-hmm. it over time for sure super cool
0: anything else you want to add daniel on virtual bank accounts do uh, any cool players any cool fintechs out there that you've seen that have been doing a really cool job or doing something very different with it
2: so it's certainly from for the industry that i operate in loads uh, what I what I probably wouldn't want to dilute your treasury messaging, as most of these are using m- most of these are using it to to expand the range of banking products they can deliver to an end user. That might be a corporate mm-hmm. or an individual. The corporate would certainly be a lot smaller than someone who's concerned about treasury. Uh, mm-hmm. On large scale, one thing I did see recently it was a classic. I was trying to sound smart on a LinkedIn post uh, about virtual eye bands and uh whenever anyone does that on the internet there's usually a a know-it-all who um who (laughs) comes above the power and goes ping and yeah knock knocks out your you you missed a comma on line three and you're also wrong about this detail and boy was he right on both counts i did and he was right (laughs) but the specific point that um the specific point that I got gunned down on, which was news to me as well, I was actually I was glad to find it out. Virtual IBANs—they are truly virtual. Virtual bank accounts, therefore, they offer so so confidently. Daniel said in his LinkedIn post, they don't offer the physical protections of a real bank account. So certainly, if you're a, a, a real human being or a, in some cases a small business. You have protections up to say eighty five thousand pounds, or, or or whatever, whatever the uh, the central bank decides they're comfortable with allowing a bank go bust and covering in any given year. So, uh, confident Dan said one of the uh, problems with virt- issuing virtual IBans to serve as replacement bank accounts is they do not have those protections. And then, virtual IBan Legend five three nine zero two responded saying. Um, actually, uh, we've just delivered a virtual IBAN project and you do have uh, the com- consumer protections afforded. I haven't seen evidence mm. of that, but if that's the case, then then that would be a a, a big leap forward in one of the constraints of, of a virtual bank account. Because if you're a, a small consumer, a very, very good reason for you to want to work with a big bank is that the accounts they issue you are protected up to X, Y, Z value. Whereas if you were forced to use a a small fintech who maybe was solving it, a bigger problem for you in your niche, you would still have some concerns that if said fintech went bust, and let's be honest, a fintech is inordinately more likely to go bust than a bank. And and you can compound that in terms of like, there's going to be no bailout for, for you, uh, f- for the fintech, whereas there would be a bailout for mm. a big enough bank. So the, so the risks are clear and present. So to, to have that protection afforded is actually quite powerful. Still haven't seen evidence of it, but what did I call him? <laughs> virtual Eyeband Nerd 67231154. Yes. Um, if, if that is true, uh, I'm very impressed with you.
0: Very cool. Daniel, thank you very much. So yeah, Daniel's amazing. So Dan, that was a super, super good explanation. Um, so yeah, I mean, virtual accounts have a lot of, uh, value to corporate treasures especially in terms of and um, if you have loads and loads of invoices coming in where's your cash coming from where's it not coming from mm-hmm. um, to make sure that it's coming in on time or not and then the logistics of managing that bring that in-house is you have to be really big uh, to be able to reach critical mass to build to that in-house but uh i don't i think daniel explained it all
1: 100 percent. so thanks a lot to our friends from integrated finance thanks a lot daniel this question made us think and definitely we might have a special episode about virtual accounts in 2024 because there is a lot to talk about, a lot of very interesting use cases. Um, so very much looking forward to explore that topic further, for sure.
0: And do do go check out Daniel's post in the show notes below. 100%. Where he goes into it more detail.
1: Yeah, 100%. Awesome. Another challenge, Sam. There is somebody who asked us how they could develop the treasury department from a cost center to an added value function in the organization. That sounds like a familiar topic. What's your What's your take on it?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think something that's been very common in in 2023 that's come up again and again is a shift from treasury as a as a indeed cost center to a profit center. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, and and I think the ways that we've touched that um, a lot of the times has been uh, in a high interest rate environment. Corporate treasurers are at their their role is at the forefront of it right money is expensive uh, cash is king and having liquidity on hand so you don't have to go for some short-term financing uh, is definitely beneficial better having money on hand and investing it smartly in uh, assets which are growing right now such as money market funds which is something we've covered and yeah. um, with treasury spring for example it has been super super beneficial so i think it's about finding finding the opportunities like that right we've, we've covered a lot of them um mm-hmm. Going out and getting using data to convince your management, the CFO to go and uh, be able to implement these new things, makes you profitable, right? I think yeah. that's. I think we've covered a lot of it. What What's been the most insightful for you in this topic, Jim? Yeah?
1: yeah, we've um, so we've talked with quite some people about it. Um, with my my background in consulting, that's something that comes back a lot because obviously the people we get to work with are people who are looking to transform the treasury department. To transform your treasury department, you need to make your case, right, to your CFO and potentially even higher up because you need budget. It just doesn't happen overnight. It's also not easy because you have the day-to-day job as a treasurer. Uh, I think there is not a single person that we talked to in treasury that told us that they have a big treasury department. It's always a small team compared to the side of the organization. Which also means that you hold a particular uh, high responsibility when you're one of the team members, because you're like, yeah, when you manage a multi-billion dollar company's cash, uh, it's like, it can be critical. But so that, that takes me to the to the point of um, one of our episodes, we had Kurt Smith on the show. Um, and he, he's the vice president of the ACTA the Australian Corporate Treasury Association. And we talked about exactly that, how to take treasury function from a support function to a strategic function and like to a business to a business partner of the organization my main take from this episode from what we've seen is that first of all raise your hands stand up and like make your case to have a transformation have something happening in your treasury department which which is not just hey we're gonna do the day today we're gonna actually enable cost savings because they start by this and then enable like additional business coming in like what if you increase payment terms what if you negotiate bigger line of credit so you can actually build that plant or that manufacturing and like you enable a bigger part of the business what if you drive negotiations for your OCF that allows you to have uh, more credits at a lower uh, percentage and lower interest rate like all those things when you think strategically how to enable the business through treasury all of a sudden you're not just uh, doing the day-to-day job you are helping the CFO helping the board to drive business growth and I think this is how it's happening one of the main takeaways from 200 episodes uh, on my side is also talk to the outside world of treasury talk to the other department understand how they work uh, that shouldn't be only the group treasurer's job of course the person at this position usually does it because he or she has to talk to the CFO talk to the tax department talk to the uh, legal department but as a treasury manager, as a senior treasury analyst, just go there, go to the procurement department, understand how they work, understand how they do contracts, how they do invoicing, how you can help them. Uh, same for the sales team, same for the tax team, same for the legal team, same for AP and AR. Like go ad- out there, advocate for treasury, understand how people do their job and ask how you can help them from a treasury standpoint. And if you do that, you're not just doing the day-to-day, you're like enabling the whole organization to do a better job and you're enabling business growth. I think that's really that's really about it. One of the first things that Mike Richards, one of our very first get, guests, uh, told us is, raise your hand, like, stand up, raise your hand and, like, go a bit above and beyond. You don't need to, like, just do 12 hours day of work, right? It's just, like, do your job and, like, then once it's done properly, see how you can help your manager, see how you can help his or her manager see how you can help all the teams, all the departments uh, to do their job better. And this is how you're going to come from a support function to a, to a true business partner, I think.
0: 100%. Now, there is a hand point. It has come up again and again. We mm-hmm. were at the um, Treasure Career Corner Live for uh, with Mike Richards' events, actually in London. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a bunch of huge, huge corporate treasurers there, um, there and group uh, treasurers there. And that was the point that kept coming up in everyone's career journey was raise your hands, take on the tough challenge. That's a hundred percent good point. No. Yeah, another uh, very uh, technical question. So, from a headquarters perspective of an international company, mm-hmm. would you recommend onshore or offshore hedging for FX exposure of its subsidiary in Turkey, and why? Where would you search for onslash offshore FX forward rates for a comparison?
1: <laughs> so, I'm going to quote you on that one, Sam. I have absolutely no clue. (laughs) Um, Lucky us, uh, we start to have good friends in the in the treasury world. And here we asked our very good friends from GPS Capital Markets uh, to help us and uh, give us an answer to that question. Uh, So just so you know, GPS is um, a leading corporate foreign exchange brokerage firm uh, who is dedicated to handling companies foreign exchange. And they don't do, do just that. They consult with your company to help you identify What's the best approach? What's the best strategy? And then they enable this strategy. Uh, we had two of their leaders on the show, uh, David Pearson and Alexander Youngman. Amazing episode, I think an hour and 40 minutes of pure golden nuggets conversation around financial risk management and more precisely, FX risk management. Super, super interesting. Dave is like appearing on, um, I think it's CNN or whatever the news yep, challenge CNN, in the U.S. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, the news channel in the U.S., as you see, I'm, I'm very well informed. But so big big personalities in the world of uh, FX risk management and we asked them this exact question and uh, alex uh, was kind enough to write us an answer that i'm gonna read to you just right now so and i'm quoting him from a to z here this is a great question and it is a very difficult question mostly because there are several moving parts to this politics and the turkish central bank dash the battles versus what the future holds The Turkish central bank has taken steps in the past in 2018 to clamp down on the speculation of the Turkish lira, which over time has limited the ways investors can take positions in the lira. Turkey lowered the amount of liras commercial banks were allowed to lend to foreign counterparts, bringing stability to the lira by engineering an increase in the cost of borrowing in liras. At the same time, they hindered the ability to hedge Turkish holdings against volatility. The offshore market has been restricted over the past years. Since June, the central bank has consistently raised interest rates to 35% from 8.5% in an attempt to slow down inflation, which was running at 61% in November. Currently, a convergence between Lira interest rates inside Turkey and abroad is lining up a potential easing of currency restrictions. Some believe this is to be a sign of policy normalizing, but it doesn't take away the challenges the turkish central bank still faces on the hedging side of things uh, the lira declines so the lira has already lost a third of its value against the dollar this year one of the worst performances among emerging markets currencies the lira's depreciation has all treasuries department operating in turkey wondering what now from a hedging perspective there are two things to consider firstly because inflation is so high it is already incredibly difficult to hedge. The difference between the MDF price, so the non-deliverable forward offshore versus the setting of the spot onshore is costly. Hedging the offshore volatility brings with the widened margins at 4-5% uplift. Equally, what side of the market are you looking to hedge brings challenges from a payments perspective. Buying T or K is deliverable and straightforward. Selling T or K is deliverable, but particularly complicated. An alternative solution to hedging at all could be the concept of switching functional currencies, depending on company structure. The idea is to create a TRK entity with a USD or Euro functional balance sheet. From a reporting perspective, profit and loss and balance sheet at USD, Euro functional, this brings a more global company stability. Functional currencies are a matter of fact and can be seen as an extension of business. This does not include manufacturing arms. There are real benefits to the business if the goal is to is to de-risk sorry. When you look at recommendations for hedging, you must look at the entire business structure and weigh up benefits versus cost. There is a time to act and perhaps with the loosening of the central bank grip that is now. There are varying elements within the concept of should you hedge onshore versus offshore? And much of that has to do with the setup of the company, the limitations from the payments aspects and the availability of solutions. At GPS, we tailor for both onshore and offshore options, as well as potentially switching functional currencies. So thanks a lot, Alex. That's a very well-elaborated questions, And yeah, thanks a lot to our friends from GPS Capital Markets.
0: Yeah, and if you want to book a call with Alex directly, you can actually go to our website, to the partners page, because GPS is a... Is a valued partner of corporate treasury 101 uh, and then you will get a link to go talk to alex tell him we sent you and he'll be extra nice to you i'm joking <laughs> he's an he's a nice guy so, by default uh, <laughs> by default indeed but uh, if you send if you tell us we sent you maybe he'll be a bit less nice <laughs> so be careful maybe if what you say <laughs> no.
1: 100%. um cool awesome hossam another question for you why is there no open access knowledge center slash resources, e.g. on YouTube, on how to use TMS software like most SaaS companies offer?
0: Oh, that's a tough one. I don't know why there's not. I, I, so I think TMSs have recently come out of into the SaaS model, um, right? Maybe a little bit lagging versus okay. the other. Uh, software event players, like with everything, Treasury's not the first to do anything, right? So um, <laughs> it's been a common thing. So I think that probably there's just a lack of it, and probably the big TMSs will, will issue them in the future. Um, but I think also TMSs are a little bit niche, and, and why would you, if you've purchased a TMS, um, I guess the TMS provider will probably only look to provide it to you. And if you're a big enough company that you need a TMS, um, you're probably big enough to also just call up the TMS company and say, hey, give us a can you explain this or you probably have an account manager and um, that doesn't really help people looking for like looking around the market. They just kind of want to see what the GUI looks like. What does the interface look like? Is it something that they want to buy versus something else? Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe they don't have it. They have a bit of a disadvantage there, but there are fintechs. I mean, the cash flow management apps that are coming out uh, every second day. I have seen some of them. (laughs) Um, Guillaume and I have a running joke that we keep seeing new ones all the time, Um, and and that we're in the wrong business if we didn't make our own. Um, But uh, since everyone else is, but um, I have seen them do that. So in the traditional way. So just in case anyone's wondering what what we're talking about, most like SaaS, you know, software as a service uh, companies out there, like they just post on YouTube. Oh, here's how you, you know. Add another whatever into your uh, into your software, right? And you kind of see people like clicking through the screens, and they've got the instruction videos and everything like that. And apparently, TMSs, the big ones at least, aren't aren't really doing that. So I would speculate it's a lagging effect. And again, if you're getting a TMS, you're big enough to have an account manager, and. The smaller ones are doing it, uh, from what, what I've seen, at least. Anything you'd add to that, you
1: Yeah, a couple of things, but couldn't agree more with you, Mayusam. The other thing, but that, that comes from the from my time as a consultant. One of my first projects was actually a uh, system selection. Um, and in those particular processes, you would get a demo from the from the different vendors. So I think back then, it was five vendors invited in the, in the RFP. And during the beauty parades, you get to get a demo of like one to two hours with as you just said the account manager so it takes as far from my experience as an rfp to be able to see live explain to you by an account manager how the system works what you can do the different capabilities and so on and for you to ask them this question we had a uh, with our ai treasury in treasury newsletter we had a uh, an article about uh, kiriba's um, one of the Kiribar's functions, they, they were experimenting with large language models. And so they released something which is the large language models for treasury requests using the Kiribar API. And in there, there are some like uh, videos. I think it's like, I'm watching it right now. It's 4 minutes 30, video of how the system works, but for that particular function. So point being, indeed, we have not seen it so far. I think it could be super interesting as as we try to broaden the treasury knowledge overall, like getting... Anybody who's not really aware of what the TMS is or like has always been working with, I'm going to name one so Kiribat to continue, but is about to take a role in a company that uses one of FIS products or Numenta or SAP or whatever. I'm just naming as many as I can just to show that it's like it's broad and there are many systems out there. I think it could be super interesting. Like I would have been personally interested as a consultant back then to have like either one hour or 10 hours, like breakdown of each functionality in a TMS accessible online um so definitely something that can be implemented on the market who knows maybe that's something for uh, city 101 to to look into in 2024 or maybe 2025 let's see so yeah uh, definitely lots of interesting stuff to be done still but to, to finish on your last point to sam yes it's funny to see that uh the new the new joiners in the market, the one providing like not ad hoc solutions but like very niche very specialized solutions typically cash flow forecasting or cash visibility are indeed much more keen on showing how their tool works because i think also they are less established at the moment compared to the bigger ones so they want to um, advertise the product and see and show how it works which makes sense but definitely an interesting thing to tackle yeah so I do not understand the why but definitely there should be more
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. And then I think, Guillaume, I think we're coming to the end. So let's take one more from here. Okay. So fostering awareness, interest, and curiosity about corporate treasury and graduates. That's a big challenge that someone mentioned that they have. Um, yeah. So how would you tackle that, Guillaume?
1: Yeah. And uh, it's it's a very interesting one. And to top it up, uh, that's what a lot of group treasurers were telling us about, like how hard it is to recruit Uh, young graduates in treasury because you have close to zero or very little training on treasury matters at university, even if you do a finance uh, finance degree. And what that means is that actually treasury departments don't really recruit uh, young graduates. They're more going to recruit like As of senior treasury analyst, somebody who's been trained in cash management at the bank or overall in any topic at the consultant, sorry, advisory firm, or even maybe system vendor, that's a challenge. So thanks to the people, to the person asking us this question, but that we've seen group treasurers complain about as well. And I think to begin with, with the answer is that that's exactly our mission uh, at City 101. We want to, we think education is about making a topic fun. Like if you make a topic fun and entertaining, people come back to it easily. You remove the friction from, well, the toughness of learning something new, especially as niche and as uh, technical uh, as te- treasury can be. So that's definitely one of our mission: like fostering awareness, uh, making it simple, making it entertaining, so people can join in more easily. And then. Honestly, we have to throw flowers or whatever the English expression here. Some um, at certain people doing a great job at it. Uh, we've been to Eurofinance and there was um, I don't remember his name, but we're gonna put his name in the in the uh, in the show notes. Who is a who's a teacher at university uh, in Italy, I believe, and he's like spreading awareness about treasury, and he's like advocating to have a dedicated module into a finance degree about treasury. There is this um, Vrije University of Amsterdam, who is also having a not master degree, but here again, a very in-depth module about treasury. So we are starting to get there. Uh, We're working a lot with the AFP lately and they are very strong on that as well. Like partnering up with universities to again, foster awareness, uh, but also say, guys, there there is like real career opportunities in treasury. Like if you arrive as a 22, 23 years old, young graduate with treasury knowledge, you're going to be, welcomed with open arms in treasury departments and i mean to say the things there is quite a good money to make you can check out the treasury salary survey of uh, of mike who's releasing it um on a quarterly basis like it's good money it's a great career so definitely we're not there yet some universities are doing it well some associations are pushing through to like partner with universities and so on and on our side of things on city One side of things we are trying to like make it fun, make it entertaining, putting it on channels that treasury is nowhere to be seen so far. So YouTube, typically, having a podcast about it, uh, some nice infographics. Uh, so yeah, getting there. And I think it's going to take a collective efforts. Maybe the last part of the answer is uh, treasury associations, like uh, the AIB. I'm thinking, uh, the IACT. Uh, all those treasury associations have some form of uh, treasury education that they try to push. And it's going to be a collective effort for sure. Uh, treasurers raising their hand again, to like go to universities go to student associations to like push this particular topic what's your take on it hossam uh who, uh who have seen it also from a outside perspective for like more than a year and a half now
0: no i think i think everything you said is pretty pretty accurate i think the people don't really know treasury is a career uh, when they're at the graduate level so i think that's the big thing so i think it's a brand question or like awareness question and uh, maybe mm. treasures treasure needs a bit more marketing or needs a marketing department uh, as a as a industry but I will say the AFP, um, having spoken to the president of the AFP uh, Mm -hmm. privately, Guillaume and I have a few times now, that's exactly what they're trying to do. Uh, And I see them doing a really good job of of trying to do that. And maybe just just to call it, I mean, if anyone knows any universities that would like accreditation from the AFP, I know they're looking to do that. So if you have a university or your university that you studied at Mm -hmm. and you think, hey, look, it would be cool if this was accredited by the AFP. Um, reach out to us we'll put you in touch with them uh, and uh, you can you can get your university business course or finance course accredited by the AFP and um, they're really really interested in collaborating with more and more universities to tackle exactly this thing and mm-hmm. um, so yeah reach out to us uh, gmail.com still still works uh, or the or the submission form on our website yeah and and yeah we can put you in touch and your university in touch with the AFP to go and get accredited, to be able to build that funnel of graduates coming to Treasury and being more aware of Treasury.
1: 100%. Amazing. I think that's it. Quite some amazing questions. A few others that uh, we could not cover in this very episode. We have to keep a bit of time for um, the Reflects on the year 2023 and 200 episodes. So what's your takeaway, Marussain? As we reflect on 200 episodes and 2023, which has been quite a... Quite a year
0: for City White One. Yeah, I think the appetite for Treasury is there. I think that's my main reflection. Mm-hmm. And, uh, people people want to listen to Treasury uh, podcasts. Uh, I think our stats show that. You're going to share those in a little bit uh, about the the numbers, uh, being data-driven, of course, as, as we are as a, as a podcast. So I think the appetite for Treasury is there, which is really, really interesting. I think it was the first time, and um, this year, was the first time we met fans face-to-face. Uh, Guillaume True. Uh, At different events We we attended conferences And events this year At each one of them uh, We were actively recognized As oh you guys Are the guys from Corporate Treasury 101 That was super super cool um, So if you guys ever do see Guillaume and I uh, Or I Running around uh, In the streets of I don't know Wherever we end up uh, Whatever time we are We seem to be around Europe quite a lot uh, Next year Hopefully in the US as well For a few different things Mm-hmm Please do come up and say, say hello. I think that we found that really really fun at your finance at uh, Treasure Creek Corner Live, oh. um, generally as well, uh, walking around the streets of Portugal. <laughs> so it's um it's it's been a really cool uh, it's been a really cool journey in that regard. I didn't think we, I guess I two hundred was just so far away when we started. True. That I never thought of it, and um, being here is a bit surreal. It's a bit mm-hmm. weird, and here's to to two hundred more.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I think the main thing for me has been the surprise of seeing an enthusiasm for an educational treasury podcast. Like that was really, that was really the main surprise. A welcomed one for sure. But uh, the main intention was indeed to start a podcast together see how it would go. And for me also to keep on learning on treasury stuff um, next to the the consultant's job. But quite flabbergasted to see uh, how many people actually listen to the show and come back. So maybe one of the most important thing thank you so much to you listening to this episode right now uh, yep. this show will definitely not be here if it wasn't for for you and for the amazing audience that we have our our very good sponsors automation boutique actually giving the shout out once more with the ebook that we we talked about at the beginning of this episode we've been able to access to them and to get them in an interview to begin with because of the because of the audience and because like there is a, an enthusiasm around treasury and around all things automation and tech in treasury so yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, thanks a lot for that, and to to put a little bit of numbers on it, and to to show you how like the community you are part of when you when you listen to Community One One, the the Spotify rap is probably something you you aware of uh, because you probably received yours if you're a user of Spotify uh, over the last weeks, and we were, we are were quite surprised to um, to find out that for 180 people we are the most listened to podcast in 2023. That's that's absolutely that's absolutely insane. and like when I was checking those numbers I was like, okay, that's that's about uh, the number of listens we get for the episode in the first 30 days um a bit more. and we're like hundred eighty people in one room would be quite a lot and for a seven and seven hundred fifty people we're out of five podcasts. so really, really surprised to see how many people are keen to listen to treasury but more importantly come back to listen to more <laughs> that's, the, that's the most important thing one of the fact that uh, <clears throat> you just mentioned i mean one of the person we we got recognized by t- at your finance so Sam told us like they, they, they were he approached me and he was like yeah i'm at, I'm at episode 64 can't wait to be at episode 100 i was like but are you listening to all of them and he was like yeah yeah, yeah i'm listening to them one by one and I'm at episode 64 I was like wow that's absolutely impressive so yeah absolutely amazing we recently crossed the the threshold of 50,000 downloads in total uh we had the chance to host uh 39 guests uh on the podcast so massive thanks to them as well much more to come in 2024 so yeah as we reflect extremely extremely grateful basically for the journey for 2023, we've been able to go to EuroFinance. We've been able to partner up with amazing people, namely Automation Boutique, the and uh, GPS Capital Markets. So, very, very thankful to them and to everybody listening to us.
0: I think that's my uh, that's my main take. 100. No, indeed. Thank you to all the guests and to, to all you guys listening. I think that's super, super cool.
1: Usam, so I think we need to we need to finish on one of the questions that uh, we said as a joke uh, when we launched the QA shout out. Uh, but we ended up having somebody asking for it, so I think to wrap up this twenty, this year 2023, uh, the people need to know Sam, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? And I know, <laughs> being also co-host, uh, co-founder, and I think best friend, I think we can say it. Uh, I know you quite like ice cream, so that's gonna be that's gonna be a banger. What's your favorite I, ice cream flavor?
0: All right, I've, I mean it's like it's like picking a favorite child, isn't it? You can't really have it for that. Uh <laughs> Although secretly you do, I think that's, oh my that's God. the other part. <laughs> yeah, go home and ask your mom, guillaume yeah. There is mean, no one. There's no definitely one. Um, there's uh, Anything with nuts in it, I like. I like a good praline, interesting, and, or or a good uh, or a good hazelnut or a good pistachio. Those would be mm-hmm. my top top ones. So one of those i'd say i'm surprised the one asked about the cafe as a very niche that's true as a very if you know you know and, and the, <laughs> the, the, nilos, the the nilos of this world will know exactly what that means uh <laughs> about the sam's cafe um, or did those of you, you that uh, yeah no. or those that you took the ebook or the In first ebook indeed yeah but no. Guillaume, what's yours? Just to, uh, just to close that up.
1: Man, I'm a very I'm a very simple man. I think for me it's vanilla. Anything that has to oh do with God. vanilla and maybe with some spark of chocolate. You know what? Actually, Swatchatella is probably yeah. the one I would uh, take the most of. We um, In Portugal, I've discovered the paste de nata uh, ice cream flavor, which is definitely not my favorite. Sorry for all our Portuguese <laughs> fans.
0: Pasta de natas are great. No, themselves you, yes you love pastel and apples oh. just, uh, just uh, to be clear making me sick. but uh, not uh, not the ice cream uh, it was a bit it tastes a bit too much like a pastry in exactly ice cream, which is a bit weird exactly so yeah
1: strachatella topped that up with a, a vanilla ice cream ball and I'm, I'm I'm the happiest man in the world that's
0: that's far too plain okay anyway that's fine yeah, t- yeah, people, things will, life, judge, you know? people simple will judge people will judge how they want to judge it <laughs> exactly. amazing Guillaume and uh, let me finish off by saying thank you for, uh, for being my host for 200 episodes.
1: So, my it was an absolute pleasure. It is an absolute pleasure. Looking forward to more episodes and thank you for making it so fun and entertaining. Definitely, definitely love hosting with you.
0: Here's to 200 more. Thank you, everyone. Thanks and, a lot. Uh, we'll catch you at episode 201.
1: Absolutely. Have a very nice break. Enjoy the New Year celebration and talk to you in 2024.